Hi, I'm Helen and this is Why Mums Don't Jump. Busting taboos about leaks and lumps after childbirth. All the stuff that happens to your pelvic floor that no one ever talks about. Incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain, problems that affect millions of women. One in three. I'm one of them. I have a prolapse. My pelvic organs fell out of place after the birth of my second child. And if you had told me back then that I would be speaking about this stuff out loud, I would have told you to give your head a wobble. Hi, welcome back. I hope you're well. This is an absolutely fascinating episode, totally different to anything we've done before. Um, But I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute. But first, lots of you have been asking about the cube pessary. So this is the thing I've had for a couple of weeks and here's where I'm at with it. I can't get it to sit comfortably. It seems to fall out of place so that I can feel it a little bit. So I'm wondering if it's too small. However, I'm in touch with Tracy, the physio who fitted it, and she's thinking it could well be because, um, well, basically because my pelvic floor is not up to the task yet. So I'm doing the pelvic floor exercises that she's given me and we'll see how it goes. And there is an option to size up. That's a thing that could happen. uh, And that may well be where we end up. But um, yeah, it's a process. It's not a quick fix. I'm not giving up. Uh, I'll keep you posted. Today's episode is sponsored by Modibody, the go-to brand for any of life's leaks. There's a range of products, not just for periods, but for bladder leaks, postpartum bleeding and leaky boobs, as well as reusable nappies for babies, helping to support you through different stages of life. And the new Ultra range is the most absorbent yet. It can hold 250 millilitres of liquid, no pads, no disposables, just undies. As you know, I've been using Modibody for periods for three years now and I haven't looked back. I've also bought a rather nice swimsuit that gave me peace of mind on holiday. So if you fancy trying Modibody, you could use the code WMDJ15, that's 15, for 15% off your first order, excluding sale items, bundles, gift cards and maxi 24 hours. Thank you to Modibody for that. Today's episode then. I don't have to tell you about the embarrassment that comes with pelvic floor problems. The level of shame and secrecy, stigma and taboo is off the scale. But have you ever wondered why we're so embarrassed? Where does it come from? What difference would it make if it just wasn't there? Dr. Catherine Blackledge has some thoughts on this. Her background is as a scientist and a journalist. She's a sex and fertility education advocate. And in 2003, she published a book called The Story of V. And um, I wrote it to celebrate everything about the vagina. Um, I originally had the idea when I was working as a science journalist and I was covering um, Viagra had just been launched. And also we'd first heard from the Australian scientist Helen O'Connell that the uh, clitoris was far larger than previously imagined. And I, I remember just thinking, well, what else don't we know about the vagina? And also I was irritated about uh, everything. Viagra was all about male sexual pleasure. There was nothing about the female there. So I thought, yeah, I'll um, I'll see what I can find out. And I mean, uh, writing the book had totally changed my life, personally and professionally, because I was just one so shocked about how little was known about the vagina. And, and when I say vagina, I'm using vagina as a 
catch-all term for for everything um, and you know I was really shocked about how little we knew from a scientific perspective but I, then I also discovered so many wonderful stories about the vagina and female genitalia um, and that really surprised me that this you know I see it's a massive treasure trove of female history um, wasn't known it was being lost so you know I, I gathered all this information together in a book which I hope would fascinate women and also help them to feel better about themselves and um and you know I've, I've had so many women come to me and say my book saved their lives um so you know that's an absolutely wonderful thing to be able to do and yeah and the book uh, was reissued two years ago as raising the skirt the unsung power of the vagina and I mean you know I can see so much has changed in those 20 years but also there's a long, long way to go. And I mean, one of the things that I think has changed is that when I originally got a book deal for uh, for my book, I wasn't allowed to call my book Vagina. Uh, that's that's what I wanted to call it. Um, I've, I've always felt that vagina was um, a really regal word. You know, you think of vagina, vagina. <laughs> um, and, and I was so shocked when they said in the publishing um, meeting, no, you absolutely can't use the word vagina. Some men in the room, you know, they couldn't even say the word. So if we can't say the word, then, you know, it's not going to work as, as a book title. And, uh, oh, you know, I was a first time author. I wish I'd stood my ground and called it vagina. But um, I, I settled with them on the story of being... It's so difficult, isn't it? You can't, you know, you're not, you're not in charge in that situation. No, you, you, you no. know, you're relying on them to publish the book. You have to go along with it. In some ways, I suppose you were in that world and you were so used to using that language and, and talking about anatomical terms and stuff. But mm-hmm. the rest of the world definitely wasn't there then. I don't think, no. I don't think we're there now. So in a way, it's not <laughs> no, that surprising. No, and we're not there now. And I mean, I, you know, w- one difference is that we now have books that are called vagina and have the word vagina in, in the title. And so that has changed within the publishing world. But but sadly, I don't think there's been much change within uh, the normal world, if you want to call it that, you know, there's research that shows um, um, from the Eva Pill, the charity of the Eva Pill, that one in five parents don't use any word at all for the vagina. It's, I think it's just 1% use the word vulva in front of their children. Um, a third of parents think that using either vagina or vulva is inappropriate for girls under 11 and it's like oh my goodness you know we, we have a massive problem here and, and you think that you know there's over a million words in the English language and yet we don't seem to have one that is socially acceptable to use for female genitalia you know and I, and I would argue that that's the most important part of of human anatomy you know that's where we're created gestated new life comes into the world and and yet there isn't that one word that we feel comfortable using um, and and I think that um, there are different layers of shame that get built up around female genitalia and one of those layers is related to language the lack of language that we feel that we're comfortable with um, and so I, you- I was one of those those people as well like mm. a couple of years ago before I started out on this journey if you like before I started making the podcast it's the first episode of the podcast I just say fanny throughout. Yeah. I can't, I couldn't bring myself to say vagina or vulva. And if I'm honest, it's only in the last, I don't know, five, ten years that I even knew what a vulva <laughs> was. Yeah. And I consider myself, you know, well-educated, sensible sort of a woman. Yeah. But I just, I couldn't, I was too embarrassed about it. And 
And I didn't really, if I'm honest, see see the need. I didn't understand why it was important that we do mm. use the right language and stuff. But it really is, yeah, isn't it? I yeah, mean, it absolutely is. I mean, what did your parents, what word did your parents use for you? Oh, no. That, I was like, <laughs> oh, we used body. Oh, uh, yeah. Have you come across that one before? I'm going I have, now. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it but. You know, they would have chosen that because that was must have what they felt most comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and and you know, there are all these different words. You know, fanny, foo foo, yeah. front, bottom. Yeah. You know, um, that I presume parents use in a bid to take away their own embarrassment. But I don't think it does that. I, and I think children, you know, they pick up things so easily. And you know, if you don't use any word at all, that sends an incredible message to children that what's between your legs um, for girls is is something disturbing. You know, and I, I I think about it like you know, is what between our legs so terrifying and terrible, like that, like Lord Voldemort, it cannot be named. Yeah. You know, and and I think that children hear that. You know, they hear what isn't spoken and it does affect them. I mean, I, I guess I was lucky. My mum said I had a vagina. But there certainly wasn't any vulva or clitoris or any naming of any other bits. Mm-hmm. But she told me I had a vagina and I've, I've got two brothers and two sisters. Uh, we had vaginas. They had penises. So I don't remember any sense of awkwardness about that. So, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to my parents for being so matter of fact about it but it, it, that certainly doesn't mean that I grew up um comfortable saying the word vagina you know that's that's definitely not the case yeah. <laughs> and, and there was a, it was certainly a hurdle I, I did have to overcome I remember when I started writing the book I'd go to the British Library and I'd be getting all these strange papers out and with strange titles and and I did blush I lost count of how many times when I said well yes that's the paper about the vagina or, or whatever but the more you talk about it the yeah. more it just becomes natural. So true. Um, and then that, yeah. so that so that does two things in a way. If we, when we use the right words, we we stop giving our children the impression that it is this shameful, secret, dark place mm. that shouldn't be mentioned, like Lord Voldemort, like you say. Uh, and yeah. also, it gives it empowers them to understand their anatomy, right? So if they do go to the doctors and they've got you know yeah. pain or whatever in different parts of, of their female anatomy at least they can use the right words to describe where it is and that can actually yeah. be life-saving can't it it absolutely can you know and women do have so many problems with with their sexual health and part of that um is related to the shame that people feel not being able to go to the doctor and talk about what is happening yeah. and i can say that from personal experience um i contracted chlamydia when I was well I don't know when but sometime between 18 and 21 and I, I didn't go to uh, there were some symptoms but I didn't know it was chlamydia um I, I didn't go to the doctor that's shame that stopped me from going and mm. as a result my fallopian tubes are so damaged that you know I'm infertile and I'm, I'm very lucky that um, I was able to have IVF and it finally worked and I now have a daughter but you know that shame caused so much pain um, many years of, of pain of infertility I was told as infertile just days before my 21st birthday which you know is uh, just as you're starting on your adult life you know Gosh. it's like ah there's there's this problem so I, I think that factored into me writing <clears throat> a book about the vagina I didn't know it at the time you know you, you do something and you don't quite understand your reasons for it but I I now um 
I, you know, since my daughter was old enough to know the different parts of her body, she knows she has a clitoris, she has a vulva, a vagina. She knows all these parts of her body and, and, and she doesn't appear to be, you know, ashamed or em- embarrassed about them at all. And in, and in fact, she, um, she had her first sex education lesson at school. Um, this is a primary school. They have that in year six. And um, she came home afterwards and she said, Mum, I had to correct my teacher um, because he'd said the clitoris was the size of a pea. And she said, I put my hand up and I told him, no, it's much bigger than that. Yes. Yeah, like, was, that is a proud mum moment, that is, oh, isn't it? I was so, so proud. And, you know, she got star of the week for her contribution to sex education. So, you know, change can come if, you know, if parents can get over their own embarrassment. And I'm not saying it's easy. It, you know, it absolutely isn't. But if we want to start to make change, start to help girls not feel um ashamed or embarrassed about about their vagina about their genitalia then yeah parents have got to step in and use the correct words and I know there's a big discussion about whether you say vulva or vagina and I think it's great if you if you teach your girls that yeah vagina the inner muscular tube vulva everything on the outside though though I should say years ago vulva did not mean that vulva was just um it kind of meant this the folds the fold doors so so if a woman was standing up naked you wouldn't actually see her vulva that's your mom's pubis that you see vulva was just a very small part of the anatomy but it's become the catch-all term that we use and 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 I I still think vagina is a really appropriate catch-all term for everything um some people talk about well vagina just means um you know if you go down to the etymology of it it just means the sheath so that's not a very positive feminist word to be using you know no we don't really just want to be reduced to a to a hole or a cover for something else yeah yeah and you know valvas um the etymology vulva is from valva for doors but there, there when i was researching my book i did discover some words um that are powerful for female genitalia i mean there are so many that are steeped in shame like pudendum literally means you know that it comes from pudere to be ashamed. Um, I read that a while ago. It was like it was a head in hand hands moment. I was like, okay, so we've got the pedendum yeah. comes from shame. Vagina yeah. is the sheath, and I was just like, yeah. oh, it's like where are the positive words? Yeah. I know, and, it, and that's throughout all different languages. Like in in German, um, the labia are called the sham lippen, so the shame lips, and oh. and, and that's quite a few parts of the anatomy or sham whatever um so it literally is steeped in shame it's just no wonder is it that we no. feel like we do <laughs> no and and this is why i really want to talk to you about it because obviously a lot of the work that that i do we talk about pelvic floor problems and, mm. and prolapse incontinence pelvic pain a lot of um birth injuries and things that can happen after childbirth and then live with it mm. in silence without talking about it to other people, which adds this whole layer of um, difficulty to it. It makes you feel so yes. isolated and so alone, unable to, to share those problems. And it's all to do with the, the shame and the stigma and the embarrassment around it. And in the very first episode, I remember I was speaking to, to my best friend explaining mm-hmm. what had happened to me because I, I needed someone I could trust and yeah. I could sort of relate to. And she asked me, but why is it so embarrassing? Because our kids are not embarrassed, not until we mm. teach them to be, as we've just talked about. Yes, yeah. So, like, where does that embarrassment come from? Why did we start 
calling our our gynecological reasons by words that mean shame and sheath yeah. like what what did you find out about the history of all well that? I, I, the first thing god says that it hasn't always been like that i did discover these positive powerful words one of them is verenda and, and that's the latin version of a greek word ideon and they both mean the parts that inspire awe or respect or reverence and i mean that's wonderful you know that it's this is a place to be inspired by. This is a place to be revered and respected. And, you know, I, I think we should bring back Verenda because Verenda is the whole thing. It's vulva, it's vagina, it's everything, uterus, ovaries. So there was a time when female genitalia were respected. And that, I think, goes hand in hand with um, going back thousands of years and when women were considered magical, amazing creatures who brought new life into the world, seemingly without any contribution from anybody else. Um, because, you know, there's, there's nine months between sex and a baby being born. And so for millennia, it was believed that women did this all by themselves. And you can look at all the marvellous artwork, you know, from thousands of years ago. In fact, there's a period of 40,000 years in history where you have all these wonderful, the, the Venus of Willendorf, all those amazing sculptures where you've got beautiful milk-giving breasts, rounded tummies, beautifully carved vulvas. The male form wasn't even touched. There isn't anything out there. You know, so it was it, the female form was really respected. And there is a, a shift when patriarchy, as we know it, um, starts, when, well, they, they believe that we came together, living in smaller communities, and um, controlling resources became more important and females are an important resource because we give birth and so controlling females and their sexuality and their resources became important wow. um, and that's where patriarchy comes from in terms of where the shame comes from um religion has a lot to answer for um, western religions you can see that for a long time it was believed that female orgasm was necessary for conception to occur. And during that time, medical manuals will talk about how to sexually stimulate women. So female sexual pleasure was considered important because it was needed for conception to occur. Yeah, right. It makes so, sense. So in, in a way, kind of like our sexuality, our pleasure was sanctioned then, even by the church. But we still weren't happy about it. But as long as sex was within marriage, that's absolutely fine. But then in the 1800s, they realised um, in the 1770s that female orgasm wasn't necessary for conception to occur and and then there's there's a massive shift then um there was so much knowledge about the clitoris before then and then it, it literally shrinks from from anatomy books and textbooks it, you know it disappears to the point where you know at the, at the end of 1999 when i was got the idea for the book it, we thought you know it was it's just a pee and and the west the christian church in the west very sex negative and even more so around female sexual pleasure. And, you know, we were told to be ashamed. Female sexuality was something to be ashamed of. And that's why the, the shame is, is, is in the, the root of words for female genitalia. But if you look to the East, it's, it's not quite like that. They had a much more positive and reverential attitude towards sex and towards female sexual pleasure. And you have the word for vagina is the heavenly gate, um, <laughs> which is lovely, a pubic hair, black rose. So, you know, these are really positive words. 
And, you know, if you were told you had a heavenly gate and your pubic hairs, your black rose, you know, that's really imbuing your child, the next generation, with a, a real sense of positivity. So, yeah, language is so important, but we have to, in a way, escape our culture to, to get it right. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and we can get there, I think. I, I think there's another layer of shame that, that comes in for girls and it's it's not to do with language um it's to do with a, a personal awakening because i think that for everybody who's born female um we all share a moment um and it's that moment when we realize that actually we're treated as second class citizens we're not valued as much in the world and you know that moment will come at a different point for different people but you know it it happens and I, I know I was at primary school when I realized that ah oh, I'm treated differently from my brothers they got paid for and didn't have to do any work I had to work to get the money they got loads more freedoms than I did they were allowed bikes I wasn't allowed a bike um, and and in my family it's the two girls that come first and two boys then another girl it's like they were getting bikes they're younger than us and I think this moment when you realize that you are treated differently and it does come at a young age nobody explains why that is and you have to try and figure it out for yourself and I you know in in my head I certainly thought well what's the difference I can only see that I've got a vagina and they've got a penis and I think hmm, something gets put on the vagina those that lack of understanding those negative feelings we're not told to like our vaginas perhaps they're the reason we think that you know that's why we're treated in a negative way yeah and even if that's not a conscious thing I suppose then you then you sort of step out into society as an adult and you and you see the differences that are still there and the pay gap and all all the rest of it yeah yeah that only would reinforce those feelings wouldn't it yeah um Uh, tell me about raising the skirt because I love. I kind of love this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this was in the olden days when we didn't have all these feelings. Yes, yeah, I love raising the skirt too, and raising the skirt stories are incredible, and it's why I had to call the the latest edition of my book raising the skirt. Um, one way we can make change, I believe, push aside all this shame, um, is to teach our children, our girls raising the skirt stories. Um, one of the most amazing things, I, I, you know, I came across in writing the book was, was the raising the skirt stories. So many of them crossing millennia, crossing cultures, um, in mythology, in art, in folklore, in history. They all talk about the incredible power of the vagina, that if a woman deliberately raises her skirt to reveal her vulva, she can cause an array of extraordinary things happen. So she can raise her skirt and she can um, control the elements. Um, you had Spanish women, they used to go and stand at the harbour's edge or on the cliff's edge before their um, husbands put out to sea and they would raise their skirts and they would say the sea should be calm. And so they were protecting the men, they were protecting their livelihood, they were making the sea calm down so that the, the men would be okay. Um, you have wonderful stories, you know, about calming whirlwinds or causing rain to happen. We are so powerful that we can also avert evil, so raising the skirt can um, cause the devil to disappear. There's a wonderful story about the devil attacking a village repeatedly, um, but a young woman goes out and raises her skirt and the devil runs away. Russian folk 
folklore, talks about if a bear appears out of the woods, a woman raises her skirt and, and the bear will disappear. Those stories are across cultures, across time. Um, and, and they're also about um, fertility as well. Women will go out into the fields and say, they'd raise their skirt and say to the crops, please grow as high as my skirts are now. And I think they're so important, these stories. You know, they tell, they tell of a different time. And, Indeed. And it's such like, it's such like a, a whole, it feels like a whole like societally sanctioned act of power and the magic. And I yeah. just think it's just so alien. To, to, it's so far from where we are now. But yeah, I've, I've never heard those stories before. And I, 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 yeah, I love that you found them. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, th- I feel like that, that's one of the things I'm most proud of in writing the book. Um, before that, the word wasn't known. It's called Anasurma or Anasuramai. It now has its own Wikipedia entry. Um, and in the 20 years since I gathered all these stories of, of raising the skirt, it's it's started making a comeback. People have read my book and they're now using it to protest. Um, oh, wow. uh, so in Poland, they used it to protest raising the skirt. Um, you know, they have very strict abortion laws in Poland who are protesting yes. against that. In Italy, they've, they've used it to protest. Um, in California, on the the, um, the Women's March, a wonderful artist, she'd drawn this amazing picture of Anna Surma, um inspired by my book, and they carried that around at the, the Women's March. Um, so, you know, it's making a comeback. The, I, I don't know you saw the, um, the Black Lives Matter protests in Portland, Oregon. Um, one woman walked out completely naked in front of the police with guns, and she literally sat on the ground, spread her legs, and showed her womanhood um and yeah it's a really potent gesture really proud potent gesture and you know i think if the i think if you can tell girls you have the most amazing part in your body it's so powerful it's so potent it's absolutely deserving of respect. You know, we, we can shift things so that we'll all happily say vagina, vulva, veranda, you know, and, and be happy with it. I'm not saying strip off and join your nearest protest. I won't be doing that. <laughs> but I love the idea that we can make baby steps towards lifting the embarrassment and taboo because really what purpose does it serve it just makes us feel bad and i think that if you can share your concerns if you can tell your partner tell your boss it would make such a difference to how you feel so it's food for thought and Catherine's book is now published as raising the skirt the unsung power of the vagina you can find her online at katherineblackledge.com thank you as ever for listening please tell me what you think and keep sharing the podcast in whatever way you feel comfortable if you review subscribe or follow the podcast on whichever platform you use that really makes a difference and thank you for everyone who has supported me to make the podcast at buymeacoffee.com forward slash why mums don't jump you can find me on social at why mums don't jump or online at why mums don't jump.com bye for now